Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be here with you today. At the end of 2020, my wife and I were talking and uh, God birthed a desire in our hearts to come here to Clarksville, Tennessee and be part of a new church plant and also to, to preach the gospel through that new church to Clarksville. And both of those desires and dreams are fulfilled here today. And so I just want to share the good news of Jesus Christ here with you today as we talk about Jesus as the light of the world. We're actually in John chapter 8 and verse 12. Uh, One verse we're going to look at here, and it's where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this one verse, Jesus gives us three things that I want to look at. He gives us a metaphor, he gives us a claim, and he gives us a call. A metaphor, a claim, and a call. So we're going to briefly look at each one this morning. Let's look at the metaphor. What, what is this a, a picture of? Because light is a very interesting metaphor because light is wonderful, but it's also very dangerous. You know, what's the source of light in our, in our universe? The sun is. And what Jesus is saying when he says he's the light of the world is that he's the center of the universe. He's the center of the solar system. And it's hard for us to hear that sometimes because I think sometimes we want to be the center of the universe, we want to be the center of the solar system. But once we learn who he, who he is and who we are, we can begin to orbit around him without resistance. And there's actually freedom in doing that. So let's look at this metaphor more deeply. He's like the sun. Think about the sun. The sun is wonderful, but the sun is also dangerous. Light is the source of life, isn't it? Too little sun and we freeze, you get too close to the sun And we die. So in that sense, it's the source of life. Light is also the source of truth. You know, if there's a tree in the road, there's in the middle of the road and you're going down the road driving, there's two ways to discover that there's a tree in the road. Number one, you can run into it. And unfortunately, that's the path a lot of us choose, isn't isn't it? We, We run into the tree. Well, there's another way to know that the tree is there and that's with light, with daylight. And so light becomes a source of truth. And number three, light is the source of joy. We now know that people who live at the North and South Poles often struggle with depression because they have no light. Suicide rates are actually higher in those areas of the world. If a child is scared at night, you don't turn off the lights and say, well, there you go, all's well now. You turn on the lights, right? That's what takes the fear away. So the light becomes a source of comfort and joy in some way. So people need light for life. We need light for truth, and we need light for joy. But here's the crazy thing about light. Unmediated light will actually take all that away. It'll take life and truth and joy away from us. Too much light can take away life. People argue a lot about our atmosphere, whether or not it's decaying. But one thing that everybody agrees on is that if you, you remove our ozone layer and our atmosphere, everybody dies from unfiltered unmediated light. So without light, we die. With too much light, we die. Light similarly can take away the truth because light can blind you. Unmediated light harms you. 
it burns your retina and your optic nerve. That's why when we have these eclipses, you're supposed to wear special glasses. Even though my son Jack, now 11, a few years ago once said to me, wouldn't that be fun to stare at the sun until my eyes burn out? You know, our job as parents is to teach our kids, no, that would not be fun. That would not be a good thing for you to do. So light in that way, can, it can blind you, it can harm you. Light can take away my joy. Many professional recording artists, for example, can't listen to their own songs. Film director Martin Scorsese famously said that he doesn't watch and can't watch his own movies. Why? Because he only sees the imperfections. The recording artist only hears the imperfections. A few years ago, we were at a state park as a family, and unbeknownst to me, my my daughter, Joy, took a a picture of me uh, with my shirt off standing under a waterfall. Now, up to that point, depending on how I looked at myself in the mirror, you know, I looked okay in my own eyes. But when I saw that picture, it was like unmediated light was shining on my belly. And, and, and I, saw, I saw the truth and it, and it took away my joy. And, and light can do that. I'm not sure if anyone can be truly happy if they see who they really are psychologically or spiritually. And we have story after story after story of that kind of brokenness in the world. So now that we've looked at the magnitude of the metaphor, now we can look at the magnitude of the claims that Jesus is making here. And I just want to pull in one verse from, from later on in John chapter 8, from the same uh, part of the story where Jesus said this. Here's what it says. Jesus spoke these things in the treasury, this is verse 20, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him, John said, because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus said this in a certain part of the temple and John is like almost rejoicing like, and nobody arrested him. Can you believe it? Nobody arrested him. Now, why would John say that? Well, the reason he would say that is because of the claim that Jesus was making. Jesus is making several staggering, astonishing claims about himself. The first claim he's making in saying that he is the light of the world in that part of the temple is that he's making a claim that he is the God of Israel. That's why John seems pleasantly surprised that nobody arrested him. Jesus is claiming to be God. And Jesus' enemies wanted to kill him for blasphemy, which was actually one of the charges they eventually brought against him, for blasphemy in the temple. This passage begins with, back in verse 12 that we started with, again he said to them, I am the light of the world. So we need to look back in the passage to see why it says again. And if we go back to John 7, 37, we'll see that it was the last day of what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was the last night of this seven-day celebration in Jerusalem. And there were three rituals that were practiced during the Feast of Tabernacles. One involved tents, one involved water, and one involved light. The ritual of the tents was a redepiction of the fact that the Israelites set up tents uh, as they were in the Exodus, you know, leaving um, Uh, leaving uh, Pharaoh and and Egypt. There's the ritual of water. During the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, a priest would draw water from the Pool of Siloam every day of the seven-day feast, and he poured out on the altar. And this would depict the water that came miraculously from the rock that Moses struck in the desert. And finally, the last thing that was depicted was this, this imagery of light. Every night, an enormous candelabra was lit And light flooded the temple in the city streets and people came to celebrate and dance. This light, this candelabra, commemorated and 
redepicted the cloud that led the Israelites in the desert. The cloud both sheltered the Israelites and protected them from their enemies as they left Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness. It was a pillar of cloud by day. And though normally clouds darken at night, this cloud would glow with light at night. What was the cloud? Exodus 13 tells us what it was. And it gives a simple little sentence when it says, and the Lord went before them, referring to that cloud. The cloud was God's presence. It was life and light. And that's what the candelabra represented. But this was the last day of the feast. And on the last day of the feast, the the candelabra was not lit. They're packing up. Now, if you're a kid watching this, I want you to think about when the Christmas tree goes down. That, oh, it's over. But for them, it was worse than when a Christmas tree goes down because it was a reminder that the glory of God had not been seen in Israel for centuries. The prophet Ezekiel, centuries before, had declared Ichabod over the temple, which means the glory of God has departed. So when Jesus said this, it was the last night on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he said it in the very place in the temple where the candelabra was normally lit. He already said in chapter seven that he was the living water, like the Israelites drank in the desert, that he's the true rock that was struck from which the living water flows that save lives. And now he says, I am the light of the world. I am the candelabra of the world. He's the true light. He's in a sense saying, what you long to come back to Israel was only impartial and imperfect. Look at me and you see the perfect and the complete. In Jesus, we see the fullness of the glory of God as he is the light of the world. And so the first claim he's making is that he's the God of Israel, that he's the one who's leading us through the desert. The second claim he's making in claiming to be the light is he's claiming to be the ultimate source of life, of truth, and of joy. Remember, that's what light provides. He's the ultimate life. He gives us eternal life. And when his light hits your heart, you begin to grow just like sunlight hits plant life and causes it to grow. He's the ultimate truth. Anybody who's ever wondering if Jesus claimed to be God need look no further than this text right here. He's claiming to be the God of Israel. He's claiming to be the very presence of God. And in doing so, he's saying, I'm the only way for you to know who God really is. When I speak, God is speaking to you. He's not saying that no one knows anything about God, but he's saying that everything outside of himself Everything outside of Jesus, the sun, the center, is just the moon. He's the light. He's the sun. He's the only religious founder who ever claimed to be the light in this way. He's the only one who claims to be the sun, the center of the universe. And the book of Hebrews says, the sun, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he's claiming to be the ultimate life. He's claiming to be the ultimate truth and he's claiming to be the ultimate joy. And what that means is he's claiming to be ultimately satisfying. It's another way of saying that he is ultimate beauty and we all strive for beauty, don't we? We all want it in our lives. We all look for it because we wanna look at it. We wanna watch it. We wanna, we wanna get into it. That's why we spend unlimited amounts of money as a culture to obtain ultimate beauty. Ultimately, we, we don't just wanna stare at it. We want to, we want to enter in with it. That's why we go to 
the movie theater, you know, and into these, you know, the IMAX theater or these, these big theaters and re- relax and listen to these big sound systems and watch this big, you know, cinematic masterpiece because we want to be taken in just for a couple hours. We want to be taken away into this other world. And we want to see something grand and big and beautiful. That's why we drive across the country and travel to places like the Grand Canyon. You don't go to the Grand Canyon and then stay in the backseat of the car and take selfies of yourself. Maybe, maybe some from this generation would do that, but that's not why you go to the Grand Canyon. You go to the Grand Canyon because you want to see ultimate beauty. You want to be taken in with it. Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate joy. I am the ultimate beauty. And so we come to him and we find that in him. And so we see, we see the, the claim, the claims of Christ. And now we see, finally, the call. What's the call of this passage? We looked at the metaphor. We looked at the claim. What's the call? The call of this passage is, remember, Jesus says, whoever follows me, whoever follows me has a light of life. Well, first of all, this light, like it was in the Exodus when the Israelites left Egypt, this light is a moving light. We follow him. He's leading us somewhere, just like the light led Israel through the wilderness. So what is the call? What does it mean to follow the light? It means a couple things. Number one, it means that we get close enough to let the light shine on us. And when it does, you see your need of the grace of God. Now, one morning I got up not long ago and sunbeams were shining through the window and you know what that's like. It's, it's already light in the house, but the, the beam comes through and it's just like, it's, it's, it's more light and, and it looks like a, you know, a shaft shining right through your room. And I noticed that if you look in that shaft of light, that beam of light, you could see all kinds of things floating around in that light that you didn't see before, that you didn't know was in the room. You know, I, I would never have seen that stuff if the light hadn't broken in. And that's what it's like when we come to Jesus as the light of the world. We see the dust, we see the imperfections, we see the sin. Where before we might have claimed that our morality and our goodness made us acceptable before God, suddenly in the light of Christ, we see our sin and we see that we have fallen short. But God doesn't leave us there. When we see that, something liberating happens. We see that our only answer is the grace of God. And we run to Christ, we run to the cross as our salvation. And we see that grace is not for those who can, would, could, and did. It's for those who can't, wouldn't, couldn't, and didn't. But that doesn't happen. We don't say amazing grace, how sweet the sound, until that beam of light shines in our heart. We have to get, to follow Jesus means we come close enough for that beam to shine in. And secondly and lastly, to follow the light is to believe. We bring ourselves to Jesus and we say, I believe. I believe you are ultimate truth. I believe you are ultimate joy. I believe you are ultimate life. We say, I believe. There's, there's no work for us to do. He did the work. You simply look at the light and you receive it. You receive his life, truth, and joy. We acknowledge him as Lord and say, I'll follow you. I'll arrange my life. I'll orbit around you as the sun, you as the center, not me, you. And when we do that, something amazing happens in our lives. And I want to circle back to our original verse, John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me does not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This tells us that if you come to the light, you have the light. In other words, you become light. And now one more verse of something Jesus said in a different part of the gospels. This is Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. 
He already said he's the light of the world. Now listen to what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this could be confusing. Jesus calls himself the light here in, Mar- in John 8, and now in Matthew 5, he says, actually, you're the light. So which is it? And of course, the answer is, yes, he is the light. And when we come to him, he says, you have the light. We become light in this world for Christ. Right after he calls himself the light of the world, he says, follow me and you will become light. So Christ begins to shine in us like a city on a hill. But first, let that light of the world shine in your heart. Let him shine to you. Get close enough to to let it expose your need of grace and turn to him and go to him and believe and follow him. And then we become light in this world. And I want to invite Pastor Josh back up to talk about the light through us to our community. So as Derek mentioned, I'm going to be talking about Christ flowing out of us into our community. And before we get there, uh, you know, as, as Rachel and I began to pray over this church, God led me to a passage in Isaiah, and it actually refers to us being a promise of the light of God to the world around us. And actually in Isaiah, God is speaking to a people in exile. They're far away from their home. They're actually far away from their native land. They're around people that don't speak their native tongue. And they're actually been exiled in judgment because they had not been following the one true God. And what what I drew out of this three years ago and what we're gonna draw out of here today as we're thinking about how we can be lights in the world is that we are exiles too. In 1 Peter, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. My friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a sojourner in this world. You're an exile in this world. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. And with you and me as followers of Christ, we're not actually living under God's judgment, but we're actually invited into God's mission to be lights to the world. And like I said, last week, Derek talked about, we are citizens of heaven and with us, we're exiles in this world. And God speaks a word to his people who are exiles in a foreign land. And I think it resonates for you and me today as we think about being a light to the world around us. Look with me at Isaiah 42, starting in verse six. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. As Derek said, Jesus is the light of the world and he calls us to be lights in the world. And this isn't actually a new concept. It's all around the Bible about how we're called to bring light and we're called to dispel darkness. And we see 700 years before Jesus says that he is the light of the world, that Israel was called to be lights in the world, even living as exiles in a foreign land. And so there's just going to be four brief points of application for you and me as it relates to us living as lights in the world, that we're exiled as promises of light, we're exiled as light with a mission, 
We're exiled as light with a focus and we're exiled as a new light in the world. So first we're exiled as promises of light. Look with me at Isaiah 42, six again. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So when I first read this and I think I will take you by the hand and keep you, I think about a dad, a good dad that's going to walk across the street with his kids. Now, dads in the room, what's the first thing that you do when you're walking across the street and you've got little ones? You reach out your hand and you grab your kid's hand and you walk with them through the danger of the street to get to safety. And my friends, God, as we begin understanding us as lights in the world, Jesus is the light of the world. You and I are lights in the world. As we see that, we see that God is a compassionate father. He's reaching down to hold our hand to protect us through the difficulty as living as exiles in this world and citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We're exiles in this world. And what Jesus does is he has come down into the world as God's hand extended towards us to offer us protection, to take us by the hand and keep us. And then he says here, he says, I'm going to give you as a covenant to the people. Now covenant means promise. I'm going to give you as a promise to the people. Well, who's the people that he's talking about? It's the people that that enslaved Israel. It's the people that enslaved them. They, it actually, they took Israel out of the nation of Israel and took them into a foreign land. And then God tells them, he speaks a word of prophecy to them. And he says, as you're living as an exile, you're away from home. You're around people that don't know you, that don't speak your language. You are going to be a light to them, to the people in your proximity. And, and it's so interesting that we just look back, we say, wait, didn't we say that Jesus is the light? Jesus is the light of the world and we get to be lights in the world. And if you choose to follow him, he begins to dwell in you. His light dwells in you. And my friends, we can either hide that light or we can shine that light. We actually have a choice as followers of Jesus, whether we're going to hide that light, we're going to shine it. And I want to call back to some, a text that Derek referenced, and I want to reference that again in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people sh light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So my friends, you and I have a choice. We can choose to shine as lights, to actually serve the people in our proximity, or we can be antagonistic towards them. We can push them away. And, and all of this is actually motivated because when we were enemies of God, it says Jesus came into our life to make us friends and to reconcile us to God. And so the reason why we can shine as lights in the world is because Jesus Christ shone into our hearts. We are called, we are invited to be a promise to the people in our proximity, to be a light. And it says for the nations. Now remember in this context, it was to the people that had taken Israel captive into slavery. But for you and me, this means that we are called for all people to be a light. This means the people that you don't like. This means that you're annoying coworker that you can't stand. This means the difficult employee that you have and you just 
put your head in your hands when they walk in the room because they're a knucklehead. That, that we are called to be a light to people in our proximity, to share the light, to be the light within the world to the people that we are around. And we often refer to this at Redeeming Hope in four ways, our friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. Those are the people that we primarily want to be seeking out, inviting, to be serving, to be sharing the light of Jesus with our friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. So first we see that we are exiled as promises of light to the people in our proximity. Next, we see that we are exiled as light with a mission. Look with me at the next verse, 42.7. To open the eyes that are blind. Remember he's saying, I'm getting you as covenant people, light to the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So the invitation of joining Jesus as he is the light of the world, we're lights in the world, we're drawing people out of darkness into light. And what's fascinating about this is Jesus reads this very passage in Luke 4 to begin his earthly ministry. And Jesus says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. This means that Jesus is ultimately the one that draws people out of darkness because he is the light of the world. But we join in his kingdom fulfillment of this. So Jesus has been the light of the world. This already happened. It's happening right now. Jesus is the light of the world right now. And one day it will happen that Jesus will fully conclude all of human history. And in Revelation 22, it says that there will be no more need for the sun because Jesus will be the light that we need. So we see that Jesus is the light that reveals to open the eyes that are blind. Jesus is the light that frees to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. And Jesus is the light for the darkness from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And actually, as we follow Jesus, we are called to join with God in bringing his light to the world. So Jesus works through us. Jesus is the light of the world. You and I are lights within the world. So we're first off, we're exiled as promises of light to the people in our proximity. We're exiled as light with a mission to join Jesus as he's drawing people out of darkness. Third, we are exiled as light with a focus, a focused light. Look with me at verse eight of Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. My friends, we are called in Clarksville, in, the, in our context, to be light with a focus. We're not here to build redeeming hope. We're not here to build Pastor Derek or Pastor Josh's brand. We're not here to build a building. We're not here to shape an institution or an organization. My friends, we are here to build a family on the foundation of Jesus to give glory to God alone. And so we're going to purposely place ourselves in postures of faith where we can't do it, where God needs to come through, where it's not going to be Derek's work or Josh's work or our team's work that can accomplish the goal of planting this church, but we're actually going to step out in faith so that God has to show up for this thing to work, right? So that's why we step boldly in faith. We we pray bold prayers. We do bold things because God's the one that's getting the glory, not us. It's not about building our brand or building our church. It's about building a family on the foundation of Jesus being our light. So first we saw we're exiled as promises of light to the people in our proximity. We're exiled as light with a mission 
to join Jesus as he's drawing people into his kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. And then we're also called to be exiled as light with a focus, focusing on Jesus's kingdom, not building our kingdom. And then finally, we're exiled as a new light. Look with me at verse nine. It says, behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. So my friends, what this means for us is that we actually have an incredible foundation that our church in Clarksville has been built on. And we love our friends and we love other churches in Clarksville. They have been so supportive of us. Even just, there's tons of churches across the country that have funded Redeeming Hope and helped Redeeming Hope. But even in Clarksville, churches like LifePoint Church and Hildell Baptist and First Baptist Church in Clarksville, Spring Creek Baptist, Sango United Methodist, 24 Church, Second Mile, Real Life Sango, like all of these are churches that have supported us and many more actually here are churches that have supported us and supported our vision. So, so we don't, we're not ever in conflict with them, but we as a church, as Redeeming Hope, want to bring a new specific focus on what it means to be a church that's not in conflict with other churches, but rather in concert with the churches here in Clarksville. We just bring a new perspective, just a new idea to the table of what God has already been doing here in Clarksville. And one of the things that makes Redeeming Hope unique is that we focus on us as a family. And that's our primary narrative is that we are a family, not an organization, not an institution, but we just want to put the primary narrative of how we see ourselves in Clarksville as a family of faith. And we also want to focus people on following Jesus. That means personal abiding with him, encouraging you towards joining into a group, we don't believe that you just check a box on Sunday mornings. Uh, we want to encourage you to dive into discipleship and following Jesus in a group. And we want to live life like missionaries, live life like lights in the world. And that's where we get this idea of helping others find Jesus, where we're passionate about mission and training every single person in our church as a missionary to Clarksville. Again, this is not in conflict with other churches. In fact, a lot of churches would affirm this vision here in Clarksville that our, our friends but we're just bringing a unique perspective on how to accomplish the vision of God here in Clarksville. So we're exiled as promises of light to the people in our proximity. We're exiled as light with a mission to join Jesus as he's drawing people out of darkness. We're, we're exiled as light with a focus to focus on Jesus's kingdom, not our kingdom. And we're exiled as a new light with a unique focus in Clarksville, not in conflict, but in concert with other churches and friends. So as we mentioned, Derek talked about Jesus is the light of the world. And what's so interesting is that as he was thinking and praying about today, he did not know that three years ago today, I preached this very message in Isaiah 42, talking how God was calling us to be lights in the world. And so it's so interesting when he said, you know, I was thinking about us talking about the, being the light of the world. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the center, the core of our vision that I preached at our lunch Sunday. So all of this is great, right? Jesus is the light of the world. We're called to be lights in the world. But what does that look like practically? So we were to just leave it here. Hopefully, I think it would be encouraging, but we want to put teeth to this. Okay, so what does this look like today? What does this look like this week? What does it look like over the next month? What does this look like as we are as a church focusing on Easter and reaching our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family, encouraging them towards believing in the risen Jesus? What does this look like? 
Three things, three next steps for us, practical vision with teeth on it next steps. The first is light up your heart. Light up your heart. This means personally, we are as a church going to commit to spending time abiding with Jesus, who is our light and who is our life. We're going to spend time praying. We're going to spend time in the word. We, we invite you to spend 15 minutes, three times a week in the scriptures consistently, and then joining in a group that's going to hold you accountable to follow the life and teachings of Jesus. But what this is, is this is lighting up your heart. This is letting the light of Jesus enter deeper into the caverns of our souls as we spend personal quality time with him. This is, this is the core of what Jesus is inviting us to do. And this is the motivation for our mission, right? So light up your heart by spending time with Jesus consistently. Secondly, Light up your table. Invite people into your home for relationship. So another way to put this is, would you like to enter into my life? That's, that's the posture that we take with our neighbors and with our friends. So, so light up your table. You invite people to go eat with you. You invite people to come with you as you do things with your family. You invite neighbors and friends. And this is literally just to invite them into your life to build a relationship. So light up your table. Bring people to the table of your life. Invite them to come with you. And really the posture, like I said, is would you like to enter into my life? But next, light up your context. This is to go out. Jesus doesn't say come and see. He says go and tell. So this is us going and telling and living our life among the people of Clarksville like Jesus did. So another way to put this is, can I enter into your life? That's the posture. Okay. So one, one says, light up your table says, would, would you like to come in with me? Would you like to join in what our family's doing? As our family's getting changed by Jesus, we'd love to share that. But another posture and a, and a good missional incarnational posture is to say, hey, can I enter into your life? And so certain ways that, that Derek and I and other people in our church try to model this. One of the ways that, that Derek actually has done this is since he's moved to Clarksville, he has a passion and an affinity for wrestling. Five out of his six kids wrestle. And so uh, what he did was just, he showed up to the, to the varsity wrestling team at Montgomery Central and said, how can I help? And all of a sudden, he immediately became an assistant coach. He's running a good portion of their practices. He's been coaching these kids, working with the head coach, providing a support to them. Do you see? It's not, hey, come into my life. He's actually done that too. He's invited people over to his house. But what he's actually done is he went to where people are, to where he has a passion and an affinity for and a skill set, a real practical skill set that he provides and just said, can I serve you? Can I enter into what you're doing? right? So do you see there's two different postures here? There's a posture of come with me, but there's another posture of can, can I come in with you, right? So, so both of those are necessary. So light up your heart, abide with Christ, light up your table, invite people into your life, light up your context, go out into where other people are and seek to serve Clarksville in a way that God has uniquely gifted you. Why do we do these things? Just a reminder, just to pull us back to what Derek just so accurately and clearly stated a few minutes ago. Why do we do this? Because Jesus invites us into his heart. We light up our heart. Why? Because Jesus has invited us into his heart. We light up our table because Jesus has invited us into his table to fully and completely satisfy every need that we could possibly have. In 2 Peter, it says he's given us all things necessary for life and godliness. And finally, why do we light up our context? Because his context, 
he has invited us into his context. He's literally said, hey, guess what? I'm going to invite you into this community and the love of the Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They have a pouring, ceaseless pouring out of love for one another. And he says, hey, I'm going to enter into your world and invite you into my context so you can come into the love that the Trinity has. And you are as loved as Jesus today. So this is why we do these things. As we end our time, Derek and I were talking about how to land and Derek just brought up this incredible passage of scripture that I want to end our special celebration online gathering with, which is from Isaiah 60. And it says these words, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and God will be your glory. My friends, as you are receiving the light of Jesus in repentance and faith, then we are called to be the light where kings and nations are drawn to the Holy Spirit and the light that is within us. Thank you so much for joining this online gathering. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.